0: I feel sort of guilty taking so much time from y'all. It's such a busy time of year. I think your lives are busy all the time in education. But thank y'all for being here today. Hello, I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring to you some friends from Amarillo ISD leadership, and I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. Kevin, would you start, please?
1: So, Annette, thanks for having us. Kevin Phillips, I'm the deputy superintendent um, here in Amarillo, and and really, I, I work with our assistant superintendents to, to try to support our principals um, and our teachers and our students each day here in Amarillo, so we appreciate you
0: having us. Thank you.
2: Terry, introduce yourself, please. My name is Terry Hoosman. I've been the principal at Rogers Elementary for 14 years, um, and I've served there for 19 years. I've spent 26 years in AISD, and um, all of that has been working through schools in North Amarillo. And Chad,
3: I'm Chad Hoosman. I'm principal at Caprock High School. Uh, this is my 26th year in the district, mostly at Caprock and in that that feeder pattern of schools.
0: And Kevin, did you say how long you'd been in the district?
1: Um, This is 26 or 27 for me as well. So
0: Wow. um, Well, it was about 25, six years ago I got elected to the school board, so we've kind of overlapped. Yes, ma'am. A good part of that time. Yes, ma'am. But today we're going to really focus in on... Just the past several years uh in ISDs in Texas and, and certainly beyond as well, but uh some of the legislation we're gonna be talking about really specific to Texas. Uh House Bill 4545 that was passed uh, this past year or last year. And um so let's No, that was passed this year. This year. Twenty 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 one. Yes, right. ma'am. So House Bill 4545 that was passed in uh, session in 2021, but we, we want to kind of paint the picture of where the districts and students uh, have been for the past year and a half, uh, because this has kind of been a unique time for, for students, for parents, for school districts, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I'm glad I'm not on the school board anymore, guys. Well, well, we
1: miss you. Um, We miss your leadership, Um, but I think there are definitely things you probably really don't miss about being in public education right now, Um, but we're hard at it, and uh, we're dedicated to it, sticking with it, and uh, here for our kids and our community.
0: And you know I'm still a big advocate and love it, and that's why I'm doing this podcast.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, Let's give an overview, Kevin, if you would, uh, of just... The lay of the land for the past year and a half.
1: So I I think the most the two most important voices here today are Chad and Terry. So we we definitely want to hear some really campus level things from them. But just kind of as a backdrop, I thought a good place to start when we talk about House Bill forty five forty five is is not to forget where we've been. So at, just as a reminder, in in the spring of two thousand. 20. Um, see, it's <laughs> it's all been a blur, together. right? In the spring of 2020, like most school districts in America, you know, there was a point where we were shut down. And so we were really working at that point in time from spring break-ish to the end of the school year, mainly in paper packets. So we had kids and families coming to school each week, picking up packets of schoolwork returning those the next week or two weeks later and providing snack packs and other types of things to support through that time. As we moved through that and really rolled into the 2020-2021 school year, although we were able to get back to school and, um, and get things rolling again in person, it, it still was far from normal. In AISD, we didn't start with kids until September 1st. And that really was because we were trying to give our staff time to, to set up virtual learning because it was required of us to provide virtual learning for those families who, who had a reason or didn't feel comfortable coming back to school because of the, the lingering effects of the pandemic. And so we started the school year late with kids. And really when we began around September 1st with kids, uh, we had about 80% of our kids that were in person, and about 20% of our kids that were doing virtual learning. And so roughly 25,000 in person, about 6,000 a little over 6,000 kids doing virtual work. I would say that like many school districts across Texas and 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 the United States, the, the work and the effort towards virtual learning was was valiant. It, it was it was good work. Um, but we really created virtual learning in a time and in a in a, in an environment that you really don't want to have to try to create something that drastically different. Um, we found, I think, that the, that the three key ingredients to virtual learning were a parent or a guardian or an adult at home that could monitor progress for kids, a very motivated student, and really a student that didn't necessarily have learning gaps that was you know they didn't have unique learning needs they were just kids that can learn and learn somewhat on their own and and if you didn't have those three ingredients it it was a struggle uh and i think it's fair to say we had we had some kids that had those ingredients we had a lot of kids that didn't have all three and we had some kids that didn't have any of those ingredients and so it was 2020 2021 was a rough year even though it was getting back to normal for, for the 80% of kids that were in person, they still had significant portions of the year where there were interruptions. So either there was still a large number of folks testing positive and having to stay at home, or they were being exposed and being quarantined and had to stay at home, and, and I, I'm, I mean kids and teachers. And so even if you were part of the 80% that was in person for learning at the beginning of the year, there were significant times whenever you might not have a teacher or you yourself as the student had to stay home for the 14 days or whatever it was, depending on your situation. And so I think the backdrop for what we're talking about today, you can't forget that even though it was getting back to normal, it was not a normal year from the very beginning. And so kids started later, they had significant interruptions. We had 6,000 kids that were doing virtual learning and that was working to some degree on some days and not working very well on some days. And so all of this, remember, just is a disruption to kids and teachers and to the process of teaching and learning. Um, I think probably we we go through the fall semester of 2020. We're getting back to normal. We still have these interruptions. I think around Thanksgiving we had a really high ramp up of cases and so even again even if you were in person at two or three different points during the school year we had really high rates in Amarillo, which again result in lots of quarantines lots of folks having to stay at home whether they're teachers or kids and so uh, around the middle of december in 2020 tea releases um, information about the test for spring and, and, and in that release, they they suspend the accountability ratings for schools. So uh, you could say for school districts and schools, there was a reprieve um, from from some of the things that normally happen in a school year. Um, and in that press release when they suspended the accountability system for that school year, they they announced that they would proceed with star testing in the in the spring of 2021 but that thats those STAR tests, those results from STAR tests would really be for, for parents and teachers to ascertain where kids were to try to gauge the impact of the pandemic and for, for families and parents and teachers to figure out what to do for kids to help them recover and grow. And, um, and so it was in, in, in terms of, of how we felt about it, Um, You know, we we obviously were concerned about having to figure out how to administer the test because there there still had to be the security level that's always there. We we still had a lot of kids that were doing virtual learning. And so how do we how do we assess those kids? But in the end, you know what what was communicated to us was that we're going to administer the test so that we can figure out where kids are. It will be a measure to try to gauge the impact of the pandemic. And try to gauge the impact um, on learning and the loss um, and regression that some kids had experienced because of the pandemic. And so, we roll into the spring. We administer the STAR test, and um, as we end the school year in May, uh, the legislature is in session, and and out of that, out of the first session, comes House Bill forty five forty five, and. it, it is uh, – I'll, I'll try to do a, a decent job of giving an overview of what it is, but it, it really I – think, I think the fair thing to say is what the test that was supposed to be for parents and teachers to gauge learning and figure out what to do for kids turned into um, a very impactful thing for kids. And so um, for, for those kids in, in grades 3, 5, and 8 – if they, if they did not meet standard, if they did not pass the STAR test, um, we we have had to convene um, an accelerated learning committee. So a, a group of people, administrators, parents, teachers, um, to talk about why they didn't pass the STAR test and, and, and make a plan for what to do.
0: Let me go back just a little bit, okay. you, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but the in, I mean, this is a bill sponsored by Larry Taylor and and Dutton, who is House Pub Ed uh, Chairman. Uh, the intent behind this bill was to, you know, one could say it's to help recover the the what's been called the learning loss for the students. But do you have any other background on that or conjecture?
1: Or? I, I don't. Um... I, I think part of my understanding is that there were there were actually a lot more components to this bill. Yeah, it when was it softened. first <laughs> was introduced, many of those were um, didn't end up making it to the end, and so we ended up with this um, the required tutoring and the required groups of kids. I, I, and I think, really, Annette, this is probably one of those that maybe somewhere the intention was really good but but there's a lot of unintended with this that 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 we that we have experienced during this semester. Yeah,
0: I'm going to quote one of my favorite quotes is the road to hell was paved with good intentions. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> so besides those specific grades that that have the learning recovery teams or I know I know there's another name Accelerated for Accelerated Learning it's, Committees. There, thank you. <laughs> You get out of it, you lose yes, the ma'am. acronyms a little bit or the lingo. But so the overview of House Bill forty five forty five does more than this. I mean,
1: yes, it does. So, in addition to the accelerated learning committees, any child who fails a STAR or EOC exam, they are required to receive thirty hours of tutoring above and beyond. What they receive normally in their course of their school day. It's very prescriptive how that 30 hours has to happen. There are ratios of how many kids can be with with teachers. You, you cannot you cannot pull kids out of any existing instruction or recess or P.E. And 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 or I would lunch, say, right. Yeah. Lunch, any of those types of things. So and I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, because I, I think that fine arts and P.E. and some of those things are that's what motivates a lot of kids to come to school. But but uh, but having said that, uh, I think Terry and and Chad would tell you that makes it extremely challenging to figure out when to do this.
0: And Terry, tell us a little bit about Rogers Elementary.
2: Um, Rogers is um, about four hundred and eighty students. We have um, 97% of our students on free and reduced lunch, and 52 of our 52% of our students do not speak English as their first language. So it is a um, not only do we have a large English-Spanish population, but we also have quite a few refugees and a, and a variety of languages associated with those different refugee communities um, at our school. So all the challenges that that brings in as well.
0: And aren't those the initially settled families in your? School yes. Area. Yeah.
2: So the students, kind of. the, the children are born here in Amarillo, Texas, most of them. Um, their native languages at home, however, are Somali, Burundi, Korean, Burmese, Vietnamese, Swahili. Um, and, and so that that in, it, in itself has some other challenges that go along with this, you know. Every year that I've worked at Rogers, um, and really every year that I've been in Emerald ISD, we we always work to look at the data and and make adjustments to what we do to meet the needs of our students. House Bill 4545 has not made that change. We are going to do what we believe is best for kids because that is our charge and that is why we got into this profession. It is cumbersome in that it will allow us or it mandates that we do a one to three ratio, that we meet kids for 30 hours. Although I will say at our school, it will be long more than, a lot more than 30 hours just because of the structure of the time that we're doing it. And that's what's best for students. We look at every student, no matter um, whether they passed or failed, and we're going to fill in every gap we can before they leave us at the end of fifth grade. So
0: for the, for the accelerated learning committee, you need those for the third and fifth graders That's correct. who then move into fourth and sixth grade. And how do you deal with the ones who move from fifth grade to sixth grade?
2: So we um, worked with the middle school feeder patterns where our kids went and our fifth grade teachers went into those middle schools and they talked specifically about the strengths and weaknesses of each student, what they what they do very well and where they where they still have gaps so that hopefully as they transition into sixth grade there's no learning lost time there's no time that the teacher is you know waiting to figure out what the student is good at and what the student still needs and struggles with Um, and so that the learning can continue from day one great and chad how about you
3: so uh, Caprock is a high school of about 2,150 kids, 74%, 75% eco-disadvantaged, about 67% Hispanic. The one difference between my campus and Terry's is that um, I don't have nearly the English language learners or the refugee population.
0: And Terry, your students would go on to Palo Duro High
2: School, correct? That's correct. correct. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So we are in different feed- feeding patterns as well. You know, we have always intervened with students who did not meet standard on star tests. We usually do that during the day by pulling them. You know, a student may have four elective choices in most years, um, but a student that did not meet standard, we may pull one elective choice away in order to do an EOC type class. Uh, and we do a lot of our forty-five forty-five tutoring through those EOC-type classes. Um, The biggest impact so far seems to be with the quality of tutors we can find and hire. In my case, with with our English test being our lowest scoring, I tried to find some true reading specialists, mostly retired people from the elementary level, uh, because high school teachers are not reading teachers, and those are the basic skills some of these students needed. And we're seeing our students respond to that real reading intervention very positively. We just did our first round of STAR retests last week. Um, Of course, we don't have those scores yet, but they've responded that their confidence level, their knowledge level going in, how they felt about the test after, uh, just much more positively than in the past. The students did. The students did, yeah. Yeah. You know, these are students that in many cases, they haven't passed a star reading test in three, four, five, six years wow. and have probably taken it in, at different levels, you know, 10, 12 times because they they have the opportunity at the high school to take it three, four times a year.
0: What does that reinforce in the student?
3: <laughs> a, a, lo- a lot of lack of confidence. Yeah, a lot of failure, a lot of I'm not good enough, um, but... But I don't want to downplay the fact that this allows us and the funding has allowed us to bring in the right people to help students. I wish I had more of those people accessible, but we're doing the best that we can, and the students are responding to it. And so is it beneficial? Is it cumbersome? Yes, it is. It's both. Um, you know, that, just that challenge of um, scheduling that many kids. We have to do some after school. Really, our freshman-level students that are coming from eighth grade not having passed. We, we focus on a lot of them after school, trying to catch them up. So the first time they take the EOC, they can be successful, which they won't take until spring. You know, one of the cumbersome parts is our freshmen that were not successful on the social studies test in eighth grade have the same 30-hour requirement in social studies. They will not take a social studies test until their junior year. Oh, No. So that that's a little bit of the specifics I and mean, that's getting very technical and specific but that's there's a lot of kids that did not pass that test in the 8th grade. Well just the
0: the onerous nature of this bill on school districts is what I'm trying to bring out and I wanted to wait until now since y'all had kind of been through a season of of or at least a semester of dealing with it are you okay on the 30 hours are you done with the 30 hours for the students or are you that will continue into the spring semester or with, some of both
3: yeah because we got a late start because a lot of the details didn't come out in 4545 until august september for this first retest our students that took it last week most of them met about half of the 30 hours Technically, by the bill, they should have met 30 hours before that. We didn't get there. We will get there before April, May retest again, but technically they should restart their 30 hours at this point by the way the bill is written. Wow.
2: And my students, um, we're we're probably about halfway there again. The things kept coming and kept changing, and so we didn't even start really tracking the hours until probably the end of September. So, so students had a month worth of tutoring and intervention that we didn't we didn't bother to go back and track. Um, our our thinking was we're going to have plenty of hours before we get to the spring testing, and so there's no reason in going back and creating all that work for us. But but we're about half as well, halfway.
1: Chad's. Chad's example about social studies for his high school kids is is a really good example of the onerous nature, to use your words. Um, his folks are going to address that and provide the 30 hours of tutoring based on a eighth grade social studies failure. But that child really will not use a lot of that on another star test for most of them for two more years or three, three more years. So again, it, it becomes, you see right there, it becomes a requirement that we're a mandate that we're adhering to the practicality of it for that child at this point in time, this school year. I'm not sure how practical that is.
0: That's a real good point. Is there a science mandate at all in high school?
3: Yes. So um, from eighth grade, they take reading math science and social studies But the science, the biology test for high school is their freshman year. So at least that makes a little bit more sense um, because they're actually testing it within that, that first year.
0: And then in high school, just the court, I mean, they take the end of course exams.
3: Yeah, there are five end of course exams that they have to pass to graduate.
0: And if they don't pass those, then they're mandated for the same tutoring, correct?
3: Correct. So... So as we get into April, May testing of our EOCs, um, if they are a student that passed all their eighth grade tests and for some reason do not pass a, a high school test, we will we will do the 30 hours. We do hope in the future, and, and by law it's in there, um, to take care of a lot more of that in the summertime than we were afforded that opportunity this year just because of the lateness of it.
1: And and not that- Chad brings up a good point. The landscape of this does change a little bit as we roll into this this coming summer because we, we will be able to hopefully staff summer school a little bit differently. We'll be able to begin to address some of this during the summer. Um, but again, in all of that, even though our timeline changes and it puts us in a better situation to address that time-wise, I still don't want to forget that this is highly prescriptive. It's not really based on what Terry and her staff at Rogers, who know these kids and know their academic needs, are able to design Um, to, to a large degree. Much of it is prescribed for Terry and her staff in how they have to do it, how long they have to do it, how frequently they have to do it, in what ratio they have to do it, And so we've taken control away from Terry and her staff at Rogers, from Chad and his staff at Caprock.
0: So House Bill 4545, in both you and Terry's opinion, is beneficial, it's cumbersome. I mean, kind of give an overview feel for it. You would have done similar activities without this. You wouldn't have had the ESSER funding maybe either as well. So maybe... That's a win there, I guess. But but the question is, how much of the of the state mandate did we need at the local level? I'm a big person on local control, big believer in local control. I'm not a big fan of our accountability system either. So yeah,
1: and, and you know, Annette, I think that's really where it li- where where it lies. I, I'll give you some numbers just because I think it, it it'll allow your listeners to understand the impact. So, a cu- few numbers: thirty three page. FAQ. So the implementation of this bill for schools since August, the frequently asked questions that answer all the technical questions about how to do this for schools and these two principals that are sitting with us, that document has grown from, I think, the first time it was it was put out. Maybe just a couple of pages to thirty-three pages, and so, it was
0: updated as recently as Friday because I yes. looked at it. Yeah.
1: And and for a period of time early on, it was updated multiple times a week. So again, I, that th- that's part of my job. I watch stuff like that. I help the principals figure all that out. But in their case, it's a moving target every week for the first two months of school. Literally, um, very very cumbersome, very frustrating. Um, currently, right now in AISD, we, we have right at 7,000 kids that are active in our schools, enrolled, attending, and are subject to the requirements of House Bill forty five wow. forty five. that's so almost a
0: fourth of your students. 7,000 I mean.
1: students. And some of these are our current teachers and teaching staff that are tutoring after school or before school. So some of these are already our employees. But we have 965 tutors that are being paid with ESSER dollars uh, to address mainly House Bill 4545. I think it's fair to say that if you're a tutor in our system and you're working with kids, it's probably because they are required to have these 30 hours of tutoring and they have to do it at a three-to-one ratio, um, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think a very key point that you brought up is, you know, the, there, there are benefits of this, but it really is the prescriptive nature of it. Again, go back to what I started with in the backdrop and that, that star was supposed to be used in this in this period of time to, to, for teachers, principals, and parents to figure out what to do. And what it what came out on the other end was a very prescriptive, state mandated solution. And it may benefit some kids, but I think there are some kids it won't. And then in the end, the teacher, the parent, the principal, no one really has the ability to opt out of what these requirements are. There is no opt out we We have been told as a school system if if you're if you have a kiddo that did, failed the math test, you will give him thirty hours and and it tells you exactly how to do it and that's hard to to comprehend for a teacher who really knows that child and really knows what their struggles are in math, but doesn't necessarily have the latitude to do certain things about how long and when and how to do it. And then, you know, the final thing that I think I would say is, you know, we, we understand that the real solution to this is to do better the first time with kids. And we don't, we don't shy away from that. We understand that. And, and we work, I think Terry has, has said it several times we work hard at that every year, and um, and we're always constantly trying to figure out how to do better at that. But those are those are kind of some numbers that give you a, some perspective of the impact. And then really, I think another key point that I don't want to leave out is that we've taken away a parent's ability to say, I don't think this is right for my child, because there is no opt-out, even from a, from a parent's perspective. And um, I think it's important that our parents understand that that's not the school district, that's what the state has said is supposed to happen.
0: This is being recorded in December of 2021. Where are the districts now about, I mean, is it all in-person learning? Is there some virtual? There, there are
1: really, we have no virtual going on. Um, There, there's a very prescriptive formula about which kids can even be engaged in virtual again from, from TEA. And so those are, are very cumbersome. And so we really have no virtual options going on for those kids that are still impacted by covid either having to stay home because they're positive or exposed. We really have, we're just working with them as they are able to come back. And some of them are able to be at home and doing some of their work, but we, we just work with them after they get back.
0: And going forward, Kevin, do you have a feel where this will land, you know, down the road? I mean, will this I mean, it's it's a law right now. Will it be softened in the next session? I I
1: think those are interesting questions that I think um, we're going to have to continue to ask. I think what we've heard from our two principals, you know, that right now school districts have they're, they're more poised to be able to handle this and address this like it's written because of ESSER dollars. And so I really think one of the big unanswered questions here is what, what do these principals do when they don't have a pot of ESSER dollars at their disposal to hire tutors and to figure out, okay, I need this many people in order to do the, this the way it's written. And so I, I think that's a very good question. I know it's one that, that we've talked about. With the school alliance that we're a part of, I, I know groups like Raise Your Hand Texas that you're involved with, and other groups that have have, have po- posed that same question. And I think really that's the biggest question that remains out there that needs an answer. And so I would, I mean, I think the answer to your question is either there's going to have to be some kind of a funding mechanism that follows ESSER to continue this, or I I, I would believe there would have to be some kind of adjustment in the requirements.
0: And tell me the district's stance on assessment.
1: So I think we understand assessment. We understand that there needs to be a measure for where kids are. We don't always agree with how those results are used. That's the biggest issue for us. And so I I think everybody understands that at the course of at the end of a course of, of a of study or subject or year for kids, there needs to be a final measure of where they are. And and that's good for Kids. That's good for parents. That's good for our teachers. That's good for school systems to understand. Okay, you know, we we we're, we're doing some really good things in third grade because at the end we can see that most of our third graders get to where they need to be. And so the idea of assessment is not a bad thing for us. It's 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 what you do with that assessment, and and then what. What are the ramifications of what you do with that? And so the the pitfall with the test is that it drives, in Terry's case, pretty much every bit of her school's accountability. And so you cannot fault the teachers and the principal for focusing on the test because it drives the majority of her accountability. That is a public, um, you know, that's a public measure that people see and it represents, whether you like it or not, it represents who Rogers is, which is not fair, but that's the nature of what happens. And so we we don't like the fact that it is very difficult to not create a ton of focus because it's, it's, it's warranted to create a lot of focus on the test because it is your accountability for the most part.
3: One part of 45-45 we haven't talked about is it took out the gatekeeper years of fifth grade and eighth grade. So in the past, a fifth grader not passing math and reading and eighth grader not passed math and reading tests could not promote to the next grade level. But it and changed that. It changed that completely. The naive part of me wants to say lawmakers put this in to help support kids getting on level before they got to high school, because we did count on multiple tests at the fifth and eighth grade level Um to, to get there for, for kids and for accountability. And it took out those multiple testing opportunities as well at the fifth and eighth grade level. And so, while I agree, I, I don't think the test should be used for, for that level of decision-making on a kid promoting or not, that was a huge change for our system that I think actually drove all the tutoring and, and the structure that the state put in place in the bill.
0: Carrie, talk about some of the training you said your staff did this summer.
2: So um, Texas Reading Academy was enacted in, in the district, and every teacher on my campus opted to do it this summer. So every teacher eligible gave up a month of their summer to come and, and basically take a full-time job. They, they, did, they worked with kids every morning, and then they, they learned the modules and went through the modules and studied those um, in, every afternoon. The work was, it's like taking a college class in about 15 days, a three-hour college class. It is a lot. A lot of information, but it is good information. And for somebody in my age group and in my um, age range, I I did not learn to read in that manner. And so it was interesting. It's amazing and a miracle that I learned to read um, after I have all this information. It, it's kind of interesting to see how that how that's put together. But that that information in itself was really just a huge springboard for our staff. I will say that Rogers teachers will they're fantastic. And I'd put them up an, among any teacher in the in the world. and I say on a regular basis that Rogers is the best kept secret in North Amarillo because the teachers that I work with are just first class and they will do whatever it takes to to meet the needs of a student wherever they are. but the reading Academy allowed us to look at data in a little bit different way, and then recognize that the way that you teach a student to read is is very linear. You have to do this, and then you have to do this, and then you have to do this. And if there's any gap along the way, the student gets to a, about a beginning of a third grade, end of second grade level, and they don't progress and we've seen that for years and years and years we really didn't know what to do about it and so recognizing that those students don't know how that letters and sounds associate and you think well they're reading on a second grade level how does that how does that not make sense but but we've seen the data through reading academy and we've seen that we're making big big strides as we fill in those pieces so we're going to do that no matter what We're going to do that in a way that we see um, will best benefit students. It is our job to make our kids successful, and we only have them until they're 10. And so if we don't lay that foundation for them, then shame on us. And so we're going to do whatever it takes. I I don't know a principal. I mean, I know a lot of principals. I don't know one that doesn't do this anyway, regardless of whether there's a a law in place. You talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the, the mandate of this. People take, educators take care of kids. That's why we get into this business, and we will not stop until every child that walks through our doors is going to be a success because that's the nature of what we signed up for, and I just don't believe that there's a teacher. I don't believe that there's an administrator. I don't believe that there's anybody in the system that isn't going to do that intentionally. Do we do better when we know more? Absolutely. And are we always learning more? We definitely are. But we are going to take care of kids, regardless of whether there's a law in place that says we have to do it. The one to three, it is a challenge. It, it is a big challenge. ESSER funds help. And, and what are we going to do in That means one years? tutor per three, per three students. students. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, it's a challenge um, when a tutor is absent, when, you know, we have all those things that we, we have to work through. There's a lot of that.
0: And you brought up a point. So what happens when the ESSER funds are gone?
2: That's a good question. Uh, um, We we have had tutors in the past. We have not had the abundance of tutors to really meet the needs of every student. And so I don't know. I'm going to be looking at Mr. Phillips and saying, give me some more money. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm not afraid to ask, and I'll do whatever I can do to help our students.
0: Chad, you had something to say. I,
3: I just think that's a big fear we all have, because this is obviously a law that's meant for a longer period of time. Than Mm -hmm. ESSER funding for the three years. Um, Yes, we've had tutors in the past. We've had EOC intervention in the past. You know, the best answer is that through this system, through this intervention at all levels from elementary on up, hopefully we don't have the need for intervention that we do now. Does that come true? I don't know.
2: But the challenges that students have walked through the door with are not new. The pandemic has heightened the awareness and that people are like, "Oh my gosh, teachers really are important." No kidding. <laughs> teachers are very important and not anybody can do this job. And, you know, I I have said um, numerous times, you know, a teacher is valuable, a teacher is knowledgeable, and a teacher brings to the table a, a lot of good information to help a student grow. For the same reason that I would not home health myself when I'm sick uh, is the same reason that I'm going to send my own child to an educator who is quality, who is trained and who is knowledgeable about how to help them grow and be successful
0: absolutely well i appreciate y'all so much and taking your time to to reflect on house bill 4545's implementation in your respective schools kevin thanks for being here on behalf of the district absolutely Uh, thank you all for what you do on a daily basis and thank you for listening
3: to my podcast yes ma'am thank you annette